0: Welcome to the Rural Leaders Podcast, where we're sharing stories of inspiration, tools to equip and momentum to act in your local community. My name is Dana Peterson, and I'm joined by my co-host, Richard Fordyce. Richard, it looks like you are a little angelic today. Where are you joining us from? Uh,
1: you know, I, I am Dana. And what's really interesting is yeah. we're doing a series on rural connectivity and and, and rural broadband and, and those topics. And I did get high-speed internet hooked up to my house last week. I'm not there, though, however. I am in Jefferson City at the Missouri Soybean Association office in the conference room. And as you indicated, I am an angel today. Um, I have a halo. <laughs> and I don't, know, I don't know how to not have a halo. So um, anyway. That's okay. Uh, so yeah. Yeah. So I was so excited uh, on this, um, you know, on this episode to be able to demonstrate my new high speed Internet. And unfortunately, I was not home today. So um, that'll happen next time. Next time. Next
0: time. You've been waiting quite some time for that. And it'll be great to be able to share that, particularly while we're in this series on rural connectivity and talking with leaders who are dealing with different aspects of this challenge for rural America. Um so it's great to to be able to have your personal experience um, during this time. Have you been getting any Absol- feedback or or talking with people about the series?
1: I have. Um, you know a number of people have watched the 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 episodes prior to this one and and I know we want to we want to do one more on on rural connectivity and uh, you know, the feedback that I've gotten from listeners is that uh, each one of the guests to this point have provided you know some valuable information um, whether whether to reinforce you know their efforts and the things that they're doing and and you know to to maybe position them at least in their mind to think that they're certainly headed the right way and their and their priorities are headed in the right direction. Um, but yeah, it's been positive and I think, You know, I think our guest today, um, you know, is going to is going to shed some more light on, you know, this really moment or monumental task of of connecting rural America to high speed Internet.
0: Yeah, our guest today is from North Dakota, and I got to get to know him a little bit better while I was living up there and, and working in kind of the ag tech ecosystem there um, so I'm excited about our episode today, um, and I'm excited particularly because as we talk about rural America, um, there's some really great things going on in North Dakota, and there's not very many people that live there, right? And so they've really had to step up, and and I'm I'm really excited to share our conversation uh, with Sen- Seth or Arndorfer. Um, from Dakota Carriers Network. So we'll be back in just a few moments with Seth. When I was in foster care, I never knew when I would have to move. So I always had my suitcase ready to go. Then one day I was adopted. My new parents opened their hearts and home to me. My parents cooked my favorite breakfast for me every morning. My parents take me on trips I never thought I would go on. They gave me a home and an even better reason to use that suitcase. My parents aren't perfect, but they're perfect for me. People do some pretty cool things in their 40s and 50s. Why should saving for retirement be any different? So wherever you are in your retirement savings journey, head to aceyourretirement.org and start chatting with Avo today. That's aceyourretirement.org. And welcome back to the Rural Leaders Podcast. We're thrilled to have with us this afternoon, our friend and colleague, Seth Arndorfer from the Dakota Carriers Network. Seth, it's great to have you with us.
2: It's great to be here, Dana. Thank you.
0: You're welcome. Hi, Seth. Thank
2: you. Good afternoon.
0: So Seth's background is is in the telecommunications industry in North Dakota. He served in a lot of different roles and currently is the CEO for DCN. Um, and I got to know Seth through his uh, volunteer work with the FCC Precision Agriculture Task Force. And Seth, I know you're engaged in a lot of different national organizations as well. So your role in, in leadership and particularly your role in bringing rural um, America the connectivity that it needs for for, um, this generation is definitely uh, well-recognized throughout the industry. So we're thrilled to have you with us. Can you tell us a little bit about what the catalyst was for North Dakota to form Dakota Carrier Network?
2: Well, sure. And uh, yeah, thanks again for the opportunity to visit with you all today, um, broadband connectivity and and rural connectivity is really near and dear to my heart. Um, this just this coming weekend, I'm going to be heading back home to Hedinger, which is a really small town in southwest North Dakota that is is blessed to have fiber all the way to the farmstead. But um, North Dakota is is leading the country in a lot of different aspects from broadband deployment. But it really goes back, and you asked what the catalyst was, it goes back to the really mid-90s, 1996, when DCN was formed. The 15 rural um, telephone cooperatives at the time realized that their subscribers, their anchor institutions, were coming to them and saying, hey, we need to be connected to this thing called the Internet. And the anchor institutions in North Dakota, they be the hospitals, higher ed, K-12, um, they were coming to their telephone co-ops and saying, hey, we're we're being told that we need to be connected to the Internet. And so these rural co-ops all got together and they said, rather than us all investing in fiber infrastructure to get out to the th- where the Internet peering points are. They said, why don't we form one company? We'll tie all of our smaller fiber networks together and collectively buy a single upstream connection um, and not to get too techie but it was a ds3 it was 45 megabits to serve the entire state of north dakota back in the 90s oh, wow. uh, my kids <laughs> would kill me if i gave them 45 meg now but uh, we served the entire state on it back in the 90s but it really it was really visionary of this group to to say okay how can we how can we meet this challenge how can we work together in a collaborative way? Uh, they had I think one of the things that made it really successful too, was they had fairly well-defined service exchanges, boundaries where they didn't have to fear about, you know the cannibalization of each other's revenue. It was really this, hey, we're going to work together to serve our cooperative customers and and that's what what made us different in North Dakota. The other thing that really I think makes North Dakota unique is the amount of the geography, the landmass in the state that's served by the co-ops. In most of the other states, uh, they're more populated, and so they've had more uh, of the large national service providers that have had interest in serving those areas. And so the 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 users, and I'm gonna <laughs> I'm gonna speak biased here. Uh, Our rural broadband subscriber base was blessed because we didn't have a bunch of national service providers investing and then stopping their investment in rural America. Mm -hmm. Because that has happened in a lot of places that a national carrier had is the incumbent and they made an investment at one point in time and then they, they failed to reinvest in that infrastructure to modernize and future proof. The connectivity serving those homes and businesses in rural America.
1: Seth, I um, it's great to see you, and I know we met when you were serving on the FCC task force. Um, you know, and and you know, certainly don't want to go down a rabbit hole here, but maybe just a statement, sure. and that is that is um, that was a demonstration of government at, at work doing good things, right? Um, and yeah. you know, sometimes. <laughs> Sometimes government um, has good intentions, but the results sometimes don't end up where we want them to be. Um, But uh, again, thanks for your service on that FCC FCC task force. And my question is, if you were bringing together all of these um, different rural telephone cooperatives, how did you all um, as a collective group prioritize um, you know, I guess the um, you know making this making this happen um, you know geographically. so how 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 did you prioritize uh, geographically across the state to start to move this project forward?
2: Yeah, so I think that's really another thing that made North Dakota prime for that uh, for the creation of a state network is we didn't have to prioritize a community or a, or a region. We had the co-ops were already serving 85% of the state and so the second that the backbone the dcn backbone was was turned up or activated once we lit that fiber all of the 15 owner companies were lit up simultaneously because it was built in a ring topology and so it wasn't built in a way that okay we're going to start with the largest owner first that has the most subscribers it was we created a backbone that interconnected all 15 companies when the original backbone was was uh, set up. And then what really put DCN on the map from a, a consumer standpoint was the le- state legislature actually w- recognized that this network was being built and formed, and they mandated that all procurement in the state for IT services, including internet, be done centrally through the state. So each different school mm-hmm wasn't, you know, basically on their own to acquire Internet. That procurement process happened through the state. And then DCN won that contract. And we turned up the first school in the year 2000, and they've been an anchor customer of ours ever since. And North Dakota is actually the first state in the country to provide a gigabit Internet access to every K-12 school in the state. And we did that as of about three years ago already.
1: Wow. Wow. Dana, can I ask another question?
0: Sure, go ahead.
1: Well, so this is fascinating and and I know certainly rural connectivity is is a priority a lot of places. Do you know of any other state where this is this kind of project is happening or this this kind of approach is happening?
2: Sure, there are um 32 other states in the United States that have Uh, a business model similar to DCN. We're all a little bit unique, just like each of our states are a little bit unique in in demographic and and, and, uh, policy. But uh, those 32 state networks went together and formed a company called Inditel. And Inditel is basically a, a national example of what our states did in North Dakota. And now we're working together to basically replicate what has been done in some of these states and push that rural broadband connectivity out further and further across the U.S.
0: That's great. You know, you touched on uh, an important piece of this. And from my short time in North Dakota, I know that kind of the cooperative spirit, the collaboration that happens when there just aren't very many people in the state. is is kind of ramped up and probably a little bit uh, more advanced in cooperation than some other states. So, what yeah. are some of the what are some of the other best practices that DCN has really seen to to provide a an abundant harvest um, in yeah. providing this backbone?
2: No, that's a great great question, and I think it is. Um, obviously it's, it's multi-layered, but one of them is the, the rural broadband service providers in North Dakota actively working with our, our elected officials to make sure that the policy is there to make it, um, as risk adverse as possible. When we know that, you know, for example, to my family farm down in Southwest North Dakota, there's a there's a three mile fiber drop just to serve that, that ranch. And that's really challenging from a business case perspective. There's federal programs, right now there are several that are being deployed across the US, but our owners have been really aggressively pursuing any of those opportunities. I would encourage, it, whether it's an electric cooperative, whether it's a telephone cooperative, whether it's a community cooperative or you're gonna form one, to say, listen, if somebody isn't gonna make that investment, how can we go out and and take advantage of the programs that are out there? So that's number one, our our state um, congressional delegation, our senators have really been proponents and advocates of these programs and of these uh, service providers. The second one is the collaboration as a state between higher education, the private sector, the public Mm -hmm. sector, the innovators the entrepreneurs um Dana you you came to North Dakota and we were glad to have you for the the time we did have you but i think you got to experience some of that firsthand of of that collaboration and and bringing the the brain powers together and i'm not one of them i was fortunate to sit in with some of you all but um uh, to say hey I, I i see what you're doing uh would you share with the group on how you did it and there's there's a great spirit of that i think in north dakota where for the lack of better terms is is we're not selfish about it we're all looking to make sure we we can all succeed and continue to thrive
1: seth you mentioned um one example of a, of a three-mile drop uh to get to a ranch um you know we know we've heard you know hundreds of stories about you know the, the so a private sector um, provider. Is likely not going to do that, um, right? Because it because the service fees would never pay for the installation. So, how many? So in North Dakota, um, those kinds of situations has fiber been deployed uh, o- almost everywhere in North Dakota, or is there still some of that work to be done?
2: Yeah, that's that's another great question. So during COVID, um, we met because DCN has the state contract, we have a really close working relationship with the Department of Public Instruction. And so we sat down with state government and Department of Public Instruction and said, okay, we have how many students, um, 72,000 students in the state of North Dakota that live outside of what we consider to be our four major metros, Bismarck, Fargo, Grand Forks and Minot. And of those 72,000 kids, how many don't have access to broadband? And so we went through it as a fire drill, but really what came out of it was we already had connectivity, fiber connectivity to over 99% of the homes in the state. Wow. We've identified now we're, you know, the number is always changing because DCN's owner, rural broadband service providers are continually connecting people. Uh, but the la- at the last check, I think we were just over right around 6000 addresses identified that do not have fiber broadband capabilities. And so that's we consider that gigabit access. Uh, the FCC determines broadband is as different, uh, and significantly lower, which is an argumentative point that I'm not going to get into the weeds on, but I think we need to raise the bar, and the expectations of if we're going to make an investment, let's make sure we do it in a way that it's, it's future proofed and we're not putting a band-aid on on connectivity.
0: Yeah, you mentioned this need for kind of continual upgrade of this infrastructure, and and there are several programs that are out there to fund this in rural America, including the Reconnect Program, which I believe is mm-hmm. open right now. Um, and you know there are innovations in the way this is being funded. Um, in your kind of roles with the the Rural Broadband Association and with the FCC, are there some um, some some new innovative funding mechanisms that are really starting to make a difference in uh, bridging the divide the divide between rural America and urban America?
2: You know, I, I think that there are. Uh, there are several different programs. Uh, USDA has been a champion with the, the different programs that they've come out with. And then you talked about ReConnect. Um, we have the BEAD program. There's NTIA has a, a middle mile, which is DCN as a middle mile provider. Um, they have a program that that is making some dollars available for sustainability and affordability of the infrastructure that we have. I I think that's a really tough question to answer because there's no single, one single place where we can all go as service providers to say, Hey, let us, let us go after whatever the bucket is. There are multiple buckets. And the last thing that anybody wants is, is waste. And Mm -hmm. we, we need transparency. We need accountability that if somebody says that they're going to take a certain dollar amount and invested in rural America, that they do just that. That they don't just take the money and reinvest it in downtown Denver or or Minneapolis. That the dollars go to actually connect the the last farms and, and homes in the United States. And then we do have outside of North Dakota, there are significant areas of geography that still remain uh, completely unconnected.
1: Hmm. And yeah, I, I think. Yeah, absolutely, you know, you did you did say something just a second ago, Seth. I thought that was interesting, and and um, I've not I've not been a part of an organization that has applied for some of the federal funding, um, but I do have friends, and um, you know, talk about this topic quite a bit. And I think the oversight, yeah. so so from a taxpayer perspective, right? Um, I do think the oversight in these in a lot of these federal programs, the Reconnect one is the one I'm most familiar with, um, is pretty robust. So if those dollars are meant to go to rural America, um, and for a specific project, the reporting mechanisms and the things that, um, that the grant, uh, award winner receives has to follow up and, and do a lot of, uh, do a lot of reporting to make sure that those dollars did go where they were meant to go. Has that been your experience?
2: It has, you know, and I think, Um, one of the apprehensions that certain people have had when they apply and look at applying for these dollars is this quote unquote strings that are attached. And some of those strings are the obligation to report and the obligation to, uh, divulge what your consumer experience is to a a testing point to say, Hey, if I'm telling you, you're getting a gigabit that you truly do have access to a gigabit, uh, some people might not like that, but I think it's key. The mapping is another thing that we worked on a lot and continue to at the FCC uh, on the Precision Ag Task Force is if a, if a service provider says, hey, I built fiber to these addresses so you can consider them served, so nobody else can go after grand dollars, that there's some accountability there. And it's a complex topic. When we start talking about serviceable address locations, and then take it a step further as it relates to precision agriculture. Now, I don't only want to connect every farm. I want to connect to every acre to support AI and uh, support uh, drone technology being deployed and, and autonomous vehicles and the amount of data that we're generating and pushing out to machine learning devices that are in the field. The demands are just gonna continue to exponentially grow. But I think as a fiber provider, I think one of my concerns is that the decision makers wanna jump right to wireless connectivity as the end all be all, but we really can't have robust wireless unless we have fiber densification out into the rural areas of the United States. So to me, it's, it's a progression. First, you have to have the fiber backbone, the infrastructure, serving the farm or you know, the headquarters and the communities. And then we expand off of that with robust wireless technologies.
0: So I think what you're telling us, Seth, is that this infrastructure upgrade process is probably gonna take some time. And that, it um, it's gonna take a lot of work to keep up with the, the use of, of this infrastructure as well.
2: It really is. And I think that's part of the challenge that that our, our policymakers struggle with on a day-to-day basis is uh, whether it's Congress, they say, well, I want everybody connected in the next two years or three years. And it's from an outsider standpoint, it seems very logical. We did it in North Dakota. Why can't we just take that and replicate it across every state in the next 24 months? We'll make the dollars available. Um, there are different factors that play into that. But The other thing we can't forget about is we can't just take all the money and put it into an area of the United States that is underserved. We still need to have sustainability and affordability for the networks like DCNs and and the subscribers in North Dakota. So there's a sustainability component that we can't forget about that kind of ties into the whole universal service um, funding that's been out there for years that got farms like, like ours in rural North Dakota, connected with a telephone many, many years ago. That business case didn't make sense back then, but that universal service program got us all connected with a phone. We need to take that model and push it forward now. Yeah.
0: Well, this has been a great conversation, and I know we would love to stay on here a little longer and talk about a lot of those very connected issues but um i think we're going to have to wrap it up for this episode if people want to get a hold of you death how would it be best for them to reach out
2: yeah go to our website dakotacarrier.com uh is probably the best place or they can email me personally and uh my last name is spelled a little <laughs> uniquely so uh it's srndorfer at dakotacarrier.com but we'll uh, we'll i'm sure you'll put that in on the on the links for folks as well but probably the website reach out contact us and and get a meeting set up both on the on the consumer standpoint if you want to do business with DCN or if you just want to talk to us about your state maybe going down the steps or talking about creating a statewide network to start tying the your communities together Well, we'd gladly participate in that. And then lastly, the Inditel component, the national network component, is another one that uh, if your state isn't a part of the Inditel network family, reach out and and we'd love to have a conversation about that as well.
0: Well, that's great. Thank you for joining us today, Seth. Look forward to uh, wrapping up the episode in a few minutes.
1: Sounds great. Thank you. Thanks, Thanks, Seth. Thanks for being with us.
0: beat of nature at a park or forest near you. Find a forest and music inspired by nature at discovertheforest.org. Welcome back to the Rural Leaders Podcast. Wow, that was a great conversation with Seth. I just really enjoy um, working with him while I was in North Dakota, but also just his leadership in uh, that state but also around the country you know that was a really good conversation
1: you know that was Dana um and you know there's a there's a lot of people I shouldn't say a lot of people there are some people in this space that really understand it and can really provide some some resources just from you know their their interest and passion in the topic but but their experience and you know Seth is. Seth's one of the best, like he's um, you know we mentioned the fCC task force uh, I know you know you and I helped um, get names for the f c c task force and it was uh, it was great to be able to get Seth on that and for him to provide his input and expertise um, but yeah that was a, that was a great session right there
0: yeah, you know, I think it's another example of Someone who grew up in rural America, um, who learned hard work and uh, the value of connecting with others and collaborating with others, you know, his experience throughout the communications industry within North Dakota um, really proved for a tr- trustworthy career, um, and now in his role as CEO of this. Fiber backbone for the state, he really understands both the, um, the technical pieces, the, um, the operations of these systems, uh, but also the value of partnerships. You know, he mentioned having the government entities, the schools, the hospitals all connected and how having that unified vision for their state to be a connected uh, was such an important piece or catalyst um, to taking the leap and, and forming DCN. Um, that collaboration is definitely something I experienced while I was in North Dakota, and um, you know, really appreciated him sharing those best practices.
1: Yeah, I, you know, I think um, you know, as we uh, this was the third. Um, Episode in our series on rural connectivity. And I think, I mean, I think Seth certainly brought some, some very valuable information and insight uh, about the topic. And, you know, uh, as he, as he said, he shared his, his contact information and absolutely, you know, folks that um, are interested in, you know, learning more about what the Dakota Carriers Network has been able to accomplish, I think should reach out to Seth. You know, one of the questions I didn't ask him, Dana, you would know the answer to this. But as we as we've gone through this, we've talked about, you know, underserved areas and what is the best map? I hate to put you on the spot, but who has the best map that folks could go look at to see where um, where whether they're in an underserved area? See if 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 where their geography is, see if it's actually right. Where, where would you ask right. folks to do uh, to go see that?
0: So the national map that's used is through the Department of Commerce at, at the national level um, through an agency called NTIA. Um, and there's been a lot of discussion around the um, how accurate the map is, whether the reporting systems from the different c- providers are giving the information that's needed, whether there's actually a connection from the users of the system into that mapping um, technology. There's a lot of of issues there, but that would be a great episode actually, because there are some great um, states uh, doing this. And so Richard, I think you maybe, put some focus on, on what we might look for for our next episode. Um, but, you know, we'd love to hear back from everyone out um, there listening as well. There's a ton of, of intellectual property um, that's listening to this podcast. So we want to hear from you. Um, listeners can contact us at Dana at the Rural Leaders Podcast or Richard at the Rural Leaders Podcast. Um, and, and until our next episode, Richard, I really look forward to um, just building up rural leaders around the country um, that we are sharing stories of inspiration, tools to equip, and hopefully giving you the momentum to act in your community. Thanks for joining us and we'll see you next time.